Would you stand with me, friends, as we read the Lord's Word this morning uh, from Colossians, chapter 3, verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. Again, this is the Lord's Word. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequence of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Would you please be seated? This is the Lord's word. Again, our Father, I thank you for your word and pray that you would bless your servant. As this word is opened, we pray that you would bless your servant with faithfulness and boldness and clarity. And I pray for these, your people, that they will also hear with straight ears and that they will not... Um, that we will not uh, be deceived by the evil one, that the seed of the gospel will not be taken away, that things that are said would not um, be misconstrued as things that were not said. I ask for your help with this delicate subject, and we pray that you would be glorified, not only in the preaching and hearing of your word, but in the living of it. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. I used to do this more, but I uh, don't do it as often now because I see most of your faces most of the time. And so I forget sometimes that I should probably do this. Um, last, Mother's, last week was Mother's Day, and there was a funny meme. And um, sometimes people wonder why I don't preach Mother's Day sermons. And I found this funny meme that it says, this is the expository preacher. Uh, this is how he handles Mother's Day. He says, happy Mother's Day. Now open up to your, in your Bibles to the very next verse where we left off last week. That's a funny thing, don't you think? <laughs> That's what an expository preacher does. That's what expositional preaching does. If you haven't noticed, I believe in expository preaching or expositional preaching. Expositional preaching is an approach to the scriptures that takes the Bible verse by verse and opens it up, examining the language, the grammar, the context, historical settings. And by doing this, the goal is to draw from the text of scripture what it was saying to the original audience and to take that meaning and to apply it to the Lord's people today. In other words, expositional preaching is, is coming to the Bible and it's digging into the Bible saying, what is the Bible saying? Versus me thinking up of a topic and saying, hmm, what can I find in the Bible to support what I want to say to the people today? One is exegesis, it's a pulling out, whereas the other is eisegesis, a reading into the text. You may not think it's a big deal, but it is a big deal, and I'm going to tell you why, as I'm sure you can appreciate. I generally do not preach topical sermons, um, and generally I won't, not because I don't think they can be helpful, because I believe they can be in certain instances. Generally, I don't do topical sermons because, in my estimation, it is a process open to the subjective judgment of the preacher in other words, I can't say everything that could be said about a given topic. Let's say I was going to preach on um, finances. Well, where do you start with that? I go from Genesis to Revelation, and I pick out a few verses, and then I construct a message. The beauty of expositional preaching is, is that the whole topic is right there in a verse or in a series of verses. My question is, what was the apostle thinking when he wrote to the Colossian church? What was his goal in saying these things? That's expositional preaching. That's what we do. The good side, the, the, the blessing of expositional preaching is that it keeps this preacher moored 
to the Bible. And it keeps me from picking topics that I like. And then it makes me preach difficult and sticky passages like the one that's in front of us. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now you might be asking yourself, why should this be considered sticky? Oh, I don't know. Because everyone in America has a problem with quoting these kinds of verses anymore. Um, I shared last week with, uh, with you all a tweet that just really astounded me as I read about a woman whose husband directed her not to wear a certain outfit in public, and the responses to her tweet were things such as, um, your husband is treating you like a child. And another uh, woman said that her husband was oppressive, and still another said that she should get out of there. She should leave her husband because he said, you should not uh, be going out wearing those, uh, those pants. Was the husband wrong? in saying these things to his wife. Is that woman oppressed? Or according to the modern church in many corners, is she abused? You've heard this, right? And how all of a sudden, everyone is abused. Everyone's abused. But I want to remind you, and I want you to be very careful, because this does seem to be a trend that's now infiltrating the church. Abuse with a capital A, abuse is sin. There's no doubt about it. But not all sin is capital A, abuse. There is such a thing as just being a plain old vanilla sinner married to another plain old vanilla sinner, and you go at it sometimes. That's not abuse. That's not abuse. That's sin, and it should be dealt with. But it's not abuse, and we have to be very careful about labeling people as abusers. There has no doubt been much abuse leveled against women in the past. But I don't think, friends, it's helpful to make the mistake of thinking that we can fix abuse with abuse. The goal must not be to get even in marriages. The goal must always be to be biblical. The goal is not to take sides with men or with women. The goal is to answer the question, what does the Lord say in his word and are we doing it? That's the goal. Another reason a topic like this might be sticky is because the sermon preached is preached to you, my brothers and sisters in the Lord. But it goes out far wider than the four walls of this building and therefore I do, not, um, I do have a broader church in mind who are being shaped and challenged by some very dangerous ideas in the world regarding the roles of men and women. I would be stupid to think, and you would be too, to think that the sermon preached here is going to be received wonderfully warmly by the broader culture, because they won't be. And it won't be because I said something necessarily wrong. It might be because I said necessarily things that were right, And you know how that's going to be received. Um, Frankly, this is one of those verses that I think many people skip over because it feels better not to have to obey it. A third reason it might be a, a sticky passage is because there might be an expectation or even a temptation on my part to focus on what the verse does not mean. Um... We sometimes do this. We, we think of all of the, the problems with the doctrine, such as biblical subjection to your husband, and we find all the reasons why this should be disregarded and why the church for 2,000 years has misunderstood this, and I'm going to tell you how they all got it wrong so that you can like me. That's a temptation. And fourth, look who's saying it a white preacher. It's the reality. It's the reality. You hear it all the time. You hear it in regard to women's health issues. If a, if a guy stands up and says, no, you shouldn't have abortion, they say, you need to shut up and sit down because you're a man and you can't speak to these things. What, I can't speak to life and death issues? 
what? It wasn't a man who got you pregnant? He doesn't have a say in this matter? Do you understand how ridiculous we have become? It's ridiculous. So here, this white man is going to preach to white and brown and red and yellow women about what the Lord says. The question is not who's saying it. That would be a question in some parts. The point of it is, if it's not biblical, be a good Berean and call me out on it. But if it is biblical, it doesn't matter what skin color I am. If I'm holding up the word of God and I'm holding it up faithfully, then you have one obligation, don't you? Regardless of who's saying it. Problem, problem with that CRT stuff is that because it was white men who brought over the gospel, that we're going to reject it? Really? What color do you think Jesus was? What color do you think the disciples were? Think they were white? I don't know what color they were. Maybe they were olive. Maybe they were tan like Egyptians. I don't know. But it's, it's ridiculous because we are undermining the truth of God's word. And that's what we don't want to allow happen. So I've couched all these things because I really want you to listen because I believe that what the scripture says is true. And if we don't heed the word of God, we always suffer in the end. You tell me, do you trust the government of the United States of America to tell you the truth? Do you trust our, 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 our schools of higher education, these elite people who can lie on their applications about their nationality and walk away with a $400,000 paycheck being liars? You believe that? They've lied to us time and again, and now we're supposed to believe that they have your best at heart. Spare me. You know, I always pray that I don't become too riled up. And I really, these things leave me irate because what it has done to the homes of Christian men and women, and it is destroying our society because we all want to say, I know better than God. Poppycock! You don't. I don't. That's why we have the word, and that's why expositional preaching is the best, because it keeps us glued to the text of Scripture, and it makes us put our nose down on the, on the page and in the ink and have to ask ourselves, why did the Lord say this, and why does he insist that this is the way it is? And many women don't want to hear it because it's already been labeled and it's in your brains that this is oppressive. And I'm telling you, it's not. And I'm saying it to you, friends, as a man who received the tremendous benefit of, of having a godly mother who taught me at her knees, who bounced me on her knees, who held me as a 15-year-old and reminded me of the love of Jesus Christ for the sinner. And then I was blessed to have a woman who I married who loved the Lord and loved her family and loved her husband and gave me a peaceful home. I've seen and I've tasted the benefits of these very things. And so when our government and our culture says, oh, these things are just oppressive, <laughs> I just want to go crazy. And my great joy would be to see my own daughters raise their children in the way that they were raised and in the way that I was raised. This is one white guy preacher who doesn't underestimate or undervalue the role and the significance of women. I hope you know that. Last week, we considered that there are many things in areas of life that the scriptures don't directly address. What should I be doing with my time? What should my vocation be? Where should I go and live? These sorts of things. This, um, this scripture, 17, rather is, to be, is, is a reminder to us that uh, just because we don't find a Bible verse listed uh, addressing our specific need, it is neither a prohibition nor a permission for us and how we live our lives. The apostle had directed the church saying, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. 
Again, whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we do all for Christ our Lord, as his servants, as his representatives. As one commentator said, all that we do, we do in vital relation with Christ in harmony with his revealed will, in subjection to his authority and in dependence on his power, so that we are not merely performing a set of rules, we are not merely checking boxes. He wants all of you, all the time, and everything to which you put your hand, he wants you to do it for his glory. It is how we demonstrate thanksgiving to God, uh, the Father, for his indescribable gift of his Son, Here, as we start moving into verse 18, let there be no ambiguity. The apostle in this next section of scripture does not allow the saints to determine how and to determine how family relationships and work relationships function as though it was dependent upon what each person thinks for himself or herself. And I give you an example. Years ago, as I was pastoring a church in Florida, a woman walked into my office and told me, that the Holy Spirit told her that she did not have to submit to her husband. As I opened my Bible to Ephesians 5, I said, that's a funny thing, because the Holy Spirit told me that you do. (laughs) That's the issue that I'm addressing. That's the issue that we're addressing. This summarizes the problem where people are not willing to submit themselves to the word of God and are doing what is right in their own eyes. My friends, just as an aside, the Holy Spirit does speak to us today in his word. It's not your feelings. It's not your emotions. It's not your experiences. You will oftentimes find that as you spend time in the word, as you're going through the day, the spirit of God will bring to mind the word of God and you will say oh I shouldn't be involved in that I shouldn't be doing this or I should care for this person because the Lord told me in John 13 I should be washing another person's feet the spirit will remind you but the word of God is the word of God and it's written for us that we might be thoroughly equipped says Paul So as Paul here is is addressing these people, he addresses these different categories of people. Wives, husbands, children, slaves or employees and masters or employers. If you want to hear about wives, stay put. If you want to hear about husbands, you come again and you'll hear about husbands the next time I preach from Colossians. If you want to hear about children or you want your children to hear about themselves, you bring them to church and we're going to cover it. Here, the apostle begins with exhorting the women of the church, those who are married, to willingly subject themselves to their own husbands. And we're just looking at this verse. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Again, he is addressing wives, that is, married women in the church. I start with a very basic question. What is a wife? Now, that seems a silly thing, right? But bearing in mind that because we can't even define what a woman is anymore, I thought it might be, uh, be important to define what a wife is. A wife is a woman who is married Um, who is in in a covenantal bond with a man for as long as they live. The only thing able to break that bond of marriage, which Jesus says, or Paul extrapolates upon, are fornication and desertion. And even then, fornication and desertion, uh, that's not a mandatory, you must divorce them. But he permits it. The only thing that... uh, uh, dissolves a marriage for sure is death before the uh, before the fall marriage was God's design and we're going to hop to a couple of different passages of scripture if you turn with me please to Genesis chapter 2 and I'm reading verses 18 and 21 through 25 
Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. In verse 21 through 25, we read, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. So we read that this is God's design before there was a fall in the garden. This is the ideal of how things are supposed to work. Clearly, after the fall, however, we find that marriage is still esteemed, even though sin has has made a real wreck of marriages. Marriage itself as an institution, as a creation ordinance, is still intact. How do we know this? We look at John 2. In John 2, we see that Jesus is blessing a marriage by his presence. He's there. His mother says, listen to him, do whatever he tells you. And Jesus turns these pots of water into the best wine. He blesses the wedding with his presence. He blesses it with his first miracle, demonstrating that he is the son of God. And furthermore, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul would use marriage as a picture of the relationship Um, of Christ and the church. All of these things demonstrate for us, even even though sin has entered into the picture, the institution of marriage doesn't and hasn't changed. The only difference being now is that there are difficulties. There are weeds, so to speak, in the garden. The idea of a man and a man or a woman and a woman being married in a covenant relationship is not only contrary to scripture, but offensive to God's order of nature. It is called an abomination. In case any of you were wondering, it is an abomination for a man to wear the clothes of a woman and of a woman to wear the clothes of a man. Deuteronomy 22.5 And it is considered a detestable thing for a man or a woman to lie with a man and uh, uh, as a man would, might lie with a woman. So again, the scriptures are plain. Marriage is between a man and a woman. There are only two sexes. You see how a simple reading of scripture exposes the fallacy of our culture and the things we're embracing. Please keep in mind that uh, June 18th, there's a huge Pride Day events here in Lander. We need to be praying against these things. But this is what they're celebrating. And it's what the Lord condemns calling it abominable and detestable. Marriage is a beautiful thing, and it is intended by God that it should be between one man and one woman until death separates them. Again, there being only two sexes, male and female. To be a wife means then that you are in a covenant relationship with a man. If you go back then to Genesis 2, the purpose behind marriage, we, we see here what the purpose is, and we also make some other helpful observations as we are looking at wives. And bear in mind that as I'm looking at this, and as I mentioned in the opening remarks, is that I'm, I'm bearing in mind that the whole culture has just gone absolutely mad. And there are so many things that could be said, perhaps should be said, and I can't for time's sake say it in 45 minutes. So I'm, I'm taking you back to square one. Again, listen to what the Lord says. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Suitable for him. And then he says in verses 20 through 2 and 23, the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. It's an, uh, a very important thing to understand here. 
Again, this is occurring prior to sin, prior to the fall. This was God's design in a world that he labeled in chapter 1, verse 31, all very good. Marriage between a man and a woman is very good. The order established in the garden is therefore very good. Secondly, the man is the one who named the animals. And I want you to notice that he also is the one who names the wife. It is God, not God, who named the wife. It was the man who named the wife, demonstrating that he has dominion. And yet, the woman is not like all the other creatures that have come before. She is not like a livestock, like livestock. This creature, she is special, she is unique. It was God who fashioned all the animals out of the ground. Even Adam was fashioned out of the ground. What was Eve fashioned out of? You ever thought about that? She was fashioned out of a rib. She wasn't made from the dirt. She was made from one of Adam's ribs. That's significant. That is significant. Women are amazing. They are precious. They are unique. And she was pulled and fashioned out of a rib from Adam's side. Again, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. They are image bearers. Both man and woman are image bearers of God. They have equal value. One is not less important than the other. They are, according to Paul in the New Testament, co-heirs of of life in Christ. They are supreme over the rest of creation. They alone, again, are image bearers, made in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, uh, and being image bearers of the Almighty. They share this, and they have this in common, yet there is a distinction. Again, Adam is the one who names Eve. She was created to be a helper to the man, a helper suitable to him, and she is fashioned from one of his ribs. I thought this next statement from Matthew Henry is absolutely astounding. He writes that the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side, listen to this, men, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. That's wonderful. That's a wonderful um, instruction there. She is to be by her husband's side. The apostle refers back to the garden before the fall in stating, but I do not allow, again, listen to this. This is scripture, 1 Timothy 2, 12 through 14. The apostle says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For... It was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. That's the instruction of the Lord. She is to be his helper. She is not to be his head. She was not created from a bone out of the cranium, and she was not taken from a bone out of the foot. It's illustrative. She was taken from his side. Why? Because this is where she needs to be, by the side of her husband. Furthermore, Paul says, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Wives are women married to men, either Christian or not. They're wonderful, precious, image-bearing helpers to their husbands. They are neither to be lords, nor are they to be serfs. This is a very basic understanding of marriage and the role that men and women are to play in the marriage relationship. Yet, as we stated, it has become more complicated as sin has entered into the world. This world is under a curse, so that the ideal design of God is now plagued with difficulties. Uh, we, We see, again, we have experienced, and many of you have perhaps have experienced or have seen it, that there are women who have been abused under the foot of their husbands and not cherished but denigrated and treated uh, reprehensibly. 
Or there are women who also, and this too, my sisters, is abuse when women think that they are beyond being told what to do. This is our devilicious uh, society in which we live. You don't dare ever question a woman, especially if you're an older white guy. That's the culture we now live in. How dare you question me? Don't you know? I am woman. I am strong. What was that? Who sang that? Never mind. Don't listen to it. Surfs, heads, monsters. There is much false teaching and instruction and godless urging of the world. And there's much that could be said here, but again, there is not much time. Marriage is God-ordained as a God-ordained institution before the fall is under attack. Marriage as a mutual help to man and woman has been belittled, is being disregarded as we become more and more groomed to think of ourselves. Marriage has become sidelined. You might think of somebody saying something like this, why would I want to think about you or give myself to you or serve another person? And by the way, this applies to men. The mindset is, I can go to a bar, I can have some laughs, get some affection from the opposite sex without any commitment or long-term effects. You want to bet? This is what the world promotes. Shows like Friends or Seinfeld or others cheapen the sanctity and importance of marriage. You ever notice they're always sleeping with everyone? Don't you know that when you do that, you give yourself away to someone else? Don't you know that you're taking the temple of God and you're joining it to something unholy and ungodly? Don't you know what psychological damage you're doing to yourself when you do that? I hope you do. These shows are just really pretty trashy. It leaves the individual stuck in an eddy of disappointment and disillusionment. This view by the world is destroying our society and even adversely affecting the church with false expectations, destroyed homes, struggling people and marriages, and not raising up families who know the Lord Jesus, which is part of the job of marriage. Have babies and teach them to praise the Lord if the Lord should open your womb. And he doesn't always. In verse 18, the Apostle Paul is addressing wives because marriage is still intact. Marriage is still important. Marriage is still necessary. And it was under attack then, and it is under attack even today. And my friends, we are new creatures. In him, you have been made complete. In Colossians 2.10, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. My friends, the grace of God doesn't obliterate what is good. Rather, it promotes order, it promotes what is good, it promotes what is right, and it enables the child of God, women and men alike, to do what he calls them to do. That's important. That's important. Wives, what has the Lord called you to do he says be subject be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord what does it mean to be subject it's from the word upotasso it means to submit to one's control to yield to one's admonition or advice or to you ready obey My husband, said that woman, told me he doesn't want me wearing those pants outside of the house. She obeyed her husband. And she was glad, she said. And everyone else said, you're oppressed. You need to get out of there. What have we become when we can't actually just say, yeah, we shouldn't be doing that? You understand in the garden that was the problem, right? Adam was with Eve. Eve listened to the serpent. Eve holds out this fruit to Adam. 
Adam should have said, yeah, hon, we're not going to do that. Put it down. Here's what the Lord said. She was deceived. I think you could say he was just sinfully stupid. He should have said, no, what are you doing? Don't you know what's going to happen? We're not supposed to be like God. We're creatures. We're made in the image of God. We're as good as creatures could ever have it. He should have argued with her and said, no, put it down. And she should have said, you're right. What was I thinking? I'm supposed to help you, not hurt you. The word upatasso is a military term meaning to arrange as in troop divisions in military fashion under the command of a leader. In non-military use, it was a voluntary attitude of giving in, of cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. Here then, my sisters who are married, not I, but the Lord says to you that you should put yourself under the headship, the leadership of your husband. You should voluntarily place your will under his, co- uh, under his, cooperate with him, and help shoulder the burden that he carries. Jesus said, a divided house will not stand. And so too a home that is divided where wives and husbands are pulling in opposite directions and fighting each one to get his or her own way inevitably will be harmed. It will not be a peaceful home. It will be a home full of contention. Children will be confused and the testimony of our Lord is hurt when we go this direction. The order that the Lord set up is that the man is the head of the home. God's order is that there is a man beside him is a woman who is there to help, to help shoulder the burden that he carries. She is not seeking her own interests, but is bringing herself under his direction, his guidance, and she is moving alongside of him in the same direction. She is a help to him. That's subjection. That's what the Lord calls every Christian woman to be given to. She is given a command. Be subject now, friends, I want you to notice this because this is where I think there is has been a lot of sin in the past. Again, the command is, is given to the woman. It is not a command given to you men to make your wives subject. In other words, my brothers, you should not be saying, Submit, woman! That's not your job to say submit or subject. The onus is put upon the woman to willingly bring yourself under your husband's control, under his direction. We treat relationships sometimes like it's some interpersonal thumb-wrestling match. We will see, um, brothers, as she places herself under you, and in case you ladies are scared to death now by what I'm saying, and I hope you're not, and this is why, by the way, we marry only in the Lord is that the man will be called to place himself even lower than you. As Jay Adams says in one of his books, the woman learns to live for her man, and the man learns to die for his wife. She places herself under your headship, and you put yourself beneath her feet, as in die for her. And we will get to that, ladies. We will. Very important then. And notice too, friends, it is not wives be subject to men. Yet another abuse, but wives be subject to your husbands. In other words, women are not here being commanded to submit to men in general, but to their own husbands in particular. The term subject is used with the person to whom she is being Uh, to bring herself underneath. It's in the dative case in the Greek, which means your husbands. You subject yourself to your husbands. Sometimes people will call me and say, well, what do you think we ought to do? And my answer is, what does your husband say? Why are you asking me? I mean, if you want to know where to stick a table here in the fellowship hall, if you want to know what we put in a bulletin, if you want to know where you can donate money or who needs help, 
I'm happy to oblige you, but your personal home? You're not married to me. Don't ask me, and if you do ask me, I'm going to tell you, go ask your husband. Well, I don't like what my husband said. <laughs> I can't help you then. I mean, seriously, this is what people think, and we get into all sorts of conundrums. I'm married to only one person, and she's sitting back there, and she's married to me, and she's obligated only to me, and I'm obligated to her. But you see, again, in our culture, an abuse has been, she's a woman, she's under me. And our question needs to be, are you married to her? Is she married to you? No then she's not obligated in any way, shape, or form to submit to you and your harebrained ideas. And I'm serious, this is, a, this is an attitude. This idea is ludicrous. That's not what the Lord says here. A helpmate is someone by someone's side. The Lord is establishing, through the apostle, the proper order in the home. This is what he's concerned about here. Each wife ought to subject herself to her husband. So my sisters, when you get married to a man and you don't have to get married, nobody says you have to get married. If you have the gift of being single, embrace it and serve the Lord because you have extra time. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you don't have the gift of singleness, you get married. And then you love your husband and you love the babies the Lord gives you and you make a home, a pleasant place where these little Cretans are slowly transformed into little Christians and servants of the Lord so that they become mighty, faithful warriors of the Lord Jesus. Don't underestimate, please, the role of being a mother as though it is somehow secondary. If you have noticed anything, and I hope you have, any time there's been a pregnant woman in this congregation, you will never get a louder, better, more fervent congratulations than anyone than this guy because it's that important. And I'm tired of the world destroying families like this. If the Lord should call you to be married, if you do, understand you are joining yourself to a man you are becoming and promising to be his helpmate and to bring yourself under his authority. Where he goes, you will follow. What he becomes, be a mechanic, a pastor, a businessman, a doctor, you will help him in his calling. As a caretaker, as a father of children, you assist him. You are a team. This is why you take on his last name, by the way. That's not a male supremacy white oppressive thing that's going on it's when you bring yourself under the headship of somebody else you take on their name Christian you're under the authority the head of Christ the groom the bride is under the headship of Christ she's a Christian or the church are Christians too many too many women want marriage but they don't want to give up their individual desires and pursuits and too often a frightening trend Women are becoming the heads of their homes and men are taking on the role of helpmate, a trend that goes contrary to God's design and will bear adverse consequences such as divorce and confusion and tensions. And my friends, my sisters, if you are married, if you are planning to marry or hope to marry, you need to ask yourself, who is this man? Do I feel safe with him? Does he demonstrate a care or a concern over me? How is he wired? Is he uptight? Is he chipper? Is he even keeled? What is his purpose, his calling? What are his gifts? Is he respectable? Not, is he rich? Does he have a great pedigree? Is he a respectable man? Does he fear the Lord? Does he walk with integrity? Does he demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit? Not just what well, he calls himself a Christian, or I met him at a church function. Well, what's that? You look for fruit. You go to the nursery. You look at a tree. What are you looking for? You're looking for something that's got buds coming out on it. Because it'll produce fruit. 
so enamored with, oh, he's got a chiseled chin. He's tall, dark, and handsome, and he's filthy rich. Don't be deceived. These are questions. These are questions that should be asked. You may be saying, well, I'm already married and I've already blown it. I wish I had known these, these questions 20-some years ago. Perhaps, ladies, you have not been submissive to your husbands. Perhaps you have fought him a very long time. And I want to put your minds at ease. I don't want you to panic and think, oh, I married the wrong guy. What am I going to do now? You make it work. That's what you do. You make it work. It's not too late. You think in God's providence you accidentally slipped and married a guy without God knowing it? Of course you didn't. But you've been on a bad path and you've been butting heads for a very long time and it's time to stop. You're married to the man that the Lord gave you. It is not too late to start. Ask yourself this, ladies. Who is this man that I'm married to? What are his strengths? Where does he shine? What are his weaknesses? How can I be a blessing to him? By the way, nagging is not blessing. It is not the same thing. I'm going to bless him by telling him how he screws up all the time. That's not helping him. Ask yourself this, how can I pray for him? How can I make his leadership easier? How can I make his home a joy? How can I make his home a joy? When we subject ourselves to others, it isn't easy. But the Lord will help you. My sisters, remember the Lord knows what he is doing. He knows his plans and he knows his design. And it's good. You're going to have to tune out the world. And all the things that people say. As an aside. What do you ladies do? Oh, I work at home. Oh. You need to come up with better answers than I just work at home. Say something true, like, I'm shaping the next generation of people. I'm planning on raising children who are going to put evil in its place. I'm raising the next John Calvin. I'm raising the next brain surgeon, Ben Carson. I'm teaching little Cretans how to be wonderful neighbors. I'm planning on populating the planet and taking over the gates of the enemies. Something glorious. Say something. You're not a housewife. You're not married to the house. You are training the next generation. You understand how important this is? Don't let the world foist these, this nonsense garbage on you. And don't believe it. It's tremendously important what you're doing. The Lord has a good design here. There is a good plan. And why does he call you to it? We're going to wrap it up here in just a second. He says, because it is fitting in the Lord. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. My sisters, do you call Jesus Christ Lord? Do you call him Master? Do you recognize here what he is saying to you? He is saying it is fitting or appropriate for you to obey the Lord in this manner, to bring yourself under the headship of your husband because of the Lord. Because of the Lord. Imagine being Sarah, married to Abraham. My wife and I have talked about this often. How could Abraham have treated Sarah this way? Just tell them you're my sister, will you? They're going to kill me. And he says things like this. How would you like to be married to a guy who was afraid to own you as his wife? Listen to this. In the same way you wives, I'm reading in 1 Peter 3, in the same way you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior 
Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. My sisters, you do not need to be afraid. Why? Because the Lord is your God, and he knows what he's doing. And our crazy, sin-stricken world is in full-out rebellion against the Holy One of Israel. They are against it, and their goal is to destroy the home, to destroy marriages, to destroy children. If you doubt me, just turn on the news and listen. When was the last time you heard somebody say, oh, they got married, what a wonderful thing. We hope they have children and that they settle down and have a peaceful life. It's never that way. Your actresses talking about how they had to kill their child in order to pursue their career. Oh. Please don't believe the lies of this age, female empowerment, that somehow you will lose your identity if you get married and have children, that your life will be miserable if you live for someone else. Hmm. I'm glad Jesus Christ lived for somebody else. Aren't you? My friends, do you trust the Lord who gave his life for you? Trust him. You won't be sorry. You are never more free, nor are you ever more fulfilled than when you are doing what you were created and commanded to do by the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. And we thank you for, I thank you for this congregation for my lovely sisters who I know, Lord, are engaged in battles, battles in their heads and oftentimes feeling demeaned because they don't have what other people have. We ask, Father, that you would shore them up, that you would strengthen them, and that they would see the glory of your design, of your majesty, and that, Father, you will bless them. I pray that your blessing be upon the wives in this congregation, that they would, by your grace, be able to bring themselves under the headship of their husbands and make their homes a place of sweetness. I likewise pray for my brothers that we would learn to die for our wives so that the burden they bear is hardly felt at all because it is such a joy. Bless our homes, we pray, that they might be places where the light of the gospel is seen brightly and where the gospel will go forth in days to come. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.